You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and technology. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music and tech PR firm. And we're just coming back from Music Tectonics, the conference. Great event. Thanks to everyone who came out. And uh, one of the themes that came up, both in the trading cards that we handed out and the keynote by Mark Mulligan, was about the great influence of self-empowered artists uh, in the music industry and how that's growing. And I thought it would be fun to bring back onto the show our next guest. Uh, I've got with me Tracy Maddox, the CEO of AVL Digital Group, which is the parent company of CD Baby, AdRev, and Dashco. How are you doing, Tracy? I'm doing great today, Dimitri. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, great to have you back. Great that you guys came out to Music Tectonics. Um, had a, a couple, You spoke on a panel, a couple of other folks did too. But I kind of want to dig into something that we touched a little bit on on the last time you were on the show. And uh, I thought we could maybe do a little more focused dive around this idea. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to dive right in, Tracy, if that's okay. Great. Um, how, cool. How big is the recorded music industry today? And how does that compare to five and 10 years ago? Well, we operate in a pretty small industry as things go. Um, in 2018, the total revenue associated with the industry was $19.1 billion. So it sounds like a big number, but I'm just going to use a hometown example to illustrate uh, how small of an industry we're in. One of the largest companies in Oregon, just outside of Portland, Oregon, where I live, is called Nike. And we all know who Nike is. They make shoes and apparel. Last year, Nike's sales alone were $40 billion. Half of those shoes, uh, or half of their sales shoes, uh, constituted about $20 billion in sales. So Nike sells more shoes by revenue than the entire size of the music industry worldwide at $19.1 billion. Wow. And in terms of growth of recorded music industry now versus in some recent past, how significant is the growth right now? The good news is we are growing. There was about a 10-year period from 1999 to 2015, I guess that's a 15-year period, where either the industry was in a no-growth uh, situation uh, or a negative growth. It was actually contracting. And that, of course, was due to format shift uh, be because consumers preferred uh, downloads and eventually streams to uh, physical media. Um, there was just less business activity. And so the industry itself was getting smaller. And the good news is we're in a growth industry that uh, $19.1 billion was forecast by Goldman Sachs to grow by about 7%, uh, should be uh, over $20 billion in 2019 uh, because of consumer adoption of streaming. Uh, so there's more money in the industry now than there was last year. And we're now in a, a reasonably fast growing industry uh, that's growing at about 7%. So let's talk about the independent sector. How big is that now and how has that changed over the years? Well, this is the really good news from where I sit. The independent sector is the fastest growing segment of the industry. Uh, last year, between self-released artists and uh, independent labels, uh, according to Medea Research, and uh, Mark Mulligan, you referenced, was one of the speakers uh, at the Music Tectonics Conference. Uh, Medea is his firm. Um, they estimated 20... 18 revenues for uh, the independent sector at about $1.6 billion, uh, which is about 6 to 7% of the entire recorded music industry. But it's the fastest growing segment, and it's growing in the mid-teens, 15 to 16%. 
Uh, so a really quick way to say that without getting too mathy is that uh, we're growing twice as fast as the rest of the industry. And we're actually taking market share away from uh, the major players in the industry, specifically the majors, uh, Universal, Sony, and Warner uh, at, a, at a pretty fast clip. So that raises a good point. I'm curious, how does that growth in independent music impact the overall music industry? You just mentioned it's taking market share, but what other dynamics are shifting as a result of this uh, increased market share or power of independent music? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, power is is uh, is the way to ask that question. If you think about power today, you've got three players that represent uh, over. 60, maybe as much as 70% of the industry in terms of uh, revenue, uh, which means, you know, listening hours, listening minutes, the artists that get listened to all belong to, or 60 to 70% of them belong to uh, artists that are distributed by Universal, Sony, and Warner in that order. Um, the biggest of those players is powerful indeed. You know, Universal Music with over a 30% world share of recorded music. Um, and so if you think about the kind of power that, you know, being in a large company like that um, kind of gives um, uh, gives the company to, to, you know, drive deals with um, DSPs like Spotify and Apple uh, to amplify the artists that are uh, distributed th uh, through those services by um, spending marketing dollars. It, it's a pretty it's a pretty daunting task to try to uh, compete with that. Um, and so you know, when I kind of think about the power dynamic in the industry, it's one in which a few players really dominate. Uh, but, you know, the flip side, and this is, again, an encouraging trend that uh, I'm certainly um, enthusiastic about, is the fact that uh, with streaming and global adoption of streaming by millions and you know, now over 200 million premium subscribers worldwide uh, for streaming services, there's a proliferation of choice. And increasingly, because artists are able to connect directly with fans in uh, uh, different parts of the world, um, and this is essentially why the share of market is shifting towards the indies, um, they're increasingly connecting, fans are increasingly connecting with uh, independent artists, and uh, they have more choices, and, and uh, those choices are skewing towards uh, independent and self-distributed artists. Actually, Mark Mulligan at that keynote also talked about kind of the end of the mainstream era and that there was, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a period of time where you could count on certain outlets being able to broadcast popular artists kind of worldwide, not, not every place, obviously, but there were these cultural moments as a result. And he's saying that now the way that people are consuming media, people are interested in more things that you could say are more segmented to what their interests are. And so there's this um, starting to see these rise of the niches and, the, and that the future of growth in music is really about putting together those niche, niches in different territories. So it's kind of interesting to hear about kind of market share, but then also hear from him kind of like that actually can become a strategy as well. I, I think that's um, right. I mean, one of the trends there that I would, uh, you know, maybe ascribe a buzzword to is globalization, where it's less about what's happening with artists in the U.S. and in Anglo territories. But, you know, uh, consumers in a place like Colombia or uh, India want to hear uh, music that they may be more familiar with. It's more kind of resonant with their cultural preferences. And it's not uh, what we're all used to listening to in Top 40 radio. And so that 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 uh, that impact of um kind of global consumption and, and shares is really uh, very much more of a global one influenced by things happening in local economies. 
So as independent music is increasing as a sh share of the pie, is it changing how rights are managed and licenses are being negotiated? For sure. And, and you know, again, a trend I'm, I'm incredibly excited about is the fact that our ability to communicate in a negotiation with uh, any of the major uh, platforms, you know, for instance, Spotify or Apple Music, uh, has really changed uh, with uh, the power tilting a little bit more towards the independent artist and the creator. Um, and as a representative for some of those uh, artists and creators, um, we, we now uh, are able to, you know, assert uh, more uh, aggressively um, uh, and advocate uh, on behalf of those artists. And, and we're doing it uh, collectively. Um, there are a number of organizations you know, in the U.S., uh, the American Association of Independent Music is an example, um, more globally, um, Merlin is an example, that allow us to advocate and communicate uh, with the players in the industry uh, and, and, and really are you know, kind of empowering the independent sector um, to, to get um, you know, better economic terms uh, with, uh, uh, with the services. And, and also to kind of cohesively communicate what's important uh, uh, to us. What would you say are the differences between, say, A2IM and Merlin, Tracy? Well, A2IM is an organization that uh, AVL and CD Baby are a member of. Uh, it's uh, North America only, or uh, it's American, obviously. It's in the name. And it's got a fantastic executive director by the name of Richard Burgess, who has a long history advocating for uh, and on behalf of independent artists and who himself is an independent artist. Um, its, its its purpose is really to serve its membership in an advocacy role, and that's uh, adv advocacy extends to things like you know, negotiating with and position papers on uh, royalty rates with uh, quasi governmental boards and agencies uh, like uh, Sound Exchange. And every now and again, when rates uh, get negotiated, they'll uh, come out in support of uh, obviously higher rates um, for artists. Uh, they'll serve almost as a lobbying arm uh, for uh, the independent industry, independent music industry, and uh, and it really exists to serve uh, the labels and artists that are uh, its members. Uh, Merlin's uh, significantly different in that its uh, its focus is around collective bargaining. Uh, the organization you know, based out of the UK was really created uh, to advocate. Uh, with the DSPs specifically uh, for higher rates uh, and, and rates that uh, are more on par with uh, what the majors uh, might be able to uh, obtain with their uh, huge market share. And, uh, and and why would somebody be a member of both A2IM and Merlin? What's what's the difference between what they have to offer? In, in fact, they, there is a lot of uh, joint membership um, and these organizations don't compete. They essentially represent different things. So uh, A2IM uh, in essence, is an organization that can advocate uh, for uh, governmental action. Uh, it can kind of uh, represent uh, the independent artists and uh, independent labels uh, for you know things like the United States Congress. This is an American organization, after all, and so its purpose is to broad, broadly advocate uh, legislatively uh, with governmental and quasi-governmental organizations. Uh, Sound Exchange, for instance, and uh, A2IM have uh, some uh, uh, board members that are shared between the organizations. Um, if, uh, and for those of you that aren't uh, familiar with Sound Exchange, I know uh, Michael Huppy was on uh, a previous uh, version of Music Tectonics. Um, it's a quasi-governmental organization formed to uh, collect uh, non-terrestrial um, 
performance royalties. Um, but anytime you've got government in action, you've got different players lobbying the government uh, for things like higher royalty rates. And so uh, A2IM can be vital in advocating for the interest of, um, uh, of uh, independent artists in uh, those negotiations with the uh, royalty board uh, that, that sets rates um, for, those, uh, for those royalties. That's just one example. Uh, Merlin's slightly different. It is based out of the UK, but it's it's very much a global organization. It board its board consists of uh, members who are elected um, by the membership uh, from the EU, from the rest of the world, and from the United States. And the idea is to have balanced representation across uh, the world uh, for the independent sector. Uh, but the purpose uh, of the entity is essentially to advocate on behalf of those rights holders that are not major labels um, for collective uh, bargaining with uh, the services that use the music. And so, you know, one of the, the the key functions is to is to aggregate the volume of the independent sector, which again, you know, is is very small relative to the majors, uh, but collectively represent those. Um, those independent labels and artists in negotiations, you know, with the the, the uh, digital service providers uh, like Apple and Spotify, and the hope is, and, and I think this has actually showed up uh, in in kind of the output of Merlin over the years, is that you know, we're able to advocate for and and get rates uh, more competitive uh, with uh, what the major labels get um, from from their negotiations and their market power. Uh, and so that's a core function of, of what a Merlin does. The, the other uh, key value that a Merlin has brought to the independent industry is as labels and artists in, uh, in one part of the world are attempting to enter another part of the world, uh, Merlin is advocating for and establishing deals with uh, DSPs in other parts of the world. So for instance, um, recently, um, AVL and CD Baby um, were able to deliver uh, its catalog, about 10 million tracks worldwide, uh, to Tencent, which is a large Chinese um, DSP uh, by subscribers, uh, probably the largest uh, DSP in the world with about 600 million active users. And uh, you know, just because of the difficulties in in uh, negotiating across time zones and across, uh, you know, potentially language and cultural barriers, uh, we relied on Merlin and Merlin's deal uh, with Tencent uh, to to represent our artists. And so, as a member of uh, of the Merlin organization, um, we were able to to utilize the deal that um, Merlin uh, did on behalf of its members with the uh, uh, presumably largest DSP in the world, Tencent. So even with those ten million tracks. Uh, you find value in kind of putting those tracks into this Merlin pool in a sense of of negotiating power to get better deals. Yeah, absolutely. I just saw an announcement that um, Apple uh, obtained a 60 million track mark. So there's 60 million tracks available at Apple Music, and that's great. Um, we know, for instance, that um, from something that Daniel X said in public about six months ago, there's about 40,000 tracks delivered a day. Um, 
to uh, to Spotify. And so we think that, you know, among the ABL brands, we represent something like 15 to 20 percent, perhaps, of the music being delivered to the DSPs. But that's not really a proxy for market share. Many of these songs uh, don't get listened to as much. Uh, if we think about kind of um, AVL's market share position, you know, worldwide, you know, again, depending on geography, we're anywhere from, you know, two to four uh, percent, depending on geography. So we're really small in terms of what people listen to, but really big in terms of uh, the music that's available. Um, you know, we could read all about this idea of the long tail, but you know, certainly the artists. Uh, and labels that use our services, um, you know, tend to have music that, you know, may not yet be popular, uh, maybe nobody's ever heard of it, or maybe they're in a geography where uh, streaming is just, uh, you know, becoming, you know, a consumer preference for the first time. Uh, that's a long way of saying we deliver a lot of music with a little bit of market share. And, uh, and so utilizing a service like or an organization like uh, like Merlin to advocate on behalf of of those uh, now almost million artists uh, gives us collectively uh, more power together. Are there other organizations that help you advocate for your artists and, and labels? Yeah, certainly. Depending on geography, we've been engaged in the past with groups like ABMI down in Brazil, which is a burgeoning uh, and, and very significant uh, music market. Uh, with AIM and WIN in the UK, uh, which are both membership organizations, much like A2IM. Uh, and uh, we're you know, starting to engage in other parts of the world with independent mu- music organizations in places like Colombia and India. Um, and so wherever there's growth, wherever there's more people streaming music, and wherever there's an opportunity to connect with fans uh, and independent art, uh, we want to make sure that we're engaged in the independent music ecosystem in that local uh, region or, or country. And what else do you do as a distributor to increase the negotiating power for your artists? Well, one of the things that we can uh, do that's probably most effective is to help artists promote their music. Um, we can give them tools to advertise their music on platforms like uh, like Spotify and Pandora. Uh, we can educate them about how to reach a larger fan base. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, success as an independent artist or, or market share from the co- more collective point of view, either as a distributor or a representative organization like uh, A2M or Merlin, is about you know having lots of fans listening to lots of uh, diverse and different music all over the world. And so, whatever we can do to help artists connect with fans is what we should be doing. Awesome. Well, this has been interesting to, to dive into this specific aspect of how uh, independent music uh, is growing in market share and what you do to kind of have this collective bargaining thing, which is such an intriguing thing to think about in the, in the free marketplace. <laughs> um, so uh, is there anything else you want to throw into the mix about where you see uh, independent music going uh, as, as this continues to unfold, Tracy? Well, I, I know we kind of open this way, but I, I think it's really encouraging to see the playing field tilt in, in favor of the independent and self-distributed artist, if not measured by market share, certainly measured by its ability to reach um, consumers all over the world. Um, you know, streaming really has shaken things up and, and, and enabled uh, artists everywhere to connect with fans everywhere in the world. And that uh, really makes me excited about this next phase of growth in our industry. 
Well, I've always liked weird music, so um, it's great <laughs> for me because it just it just feels like I have access to to so much more uh, stuff that that kind of increases my curiosity, intrigues me, and and so forth. So, awesome. Well, Tracy, thanks for joining me again on the podcast. I'm sure we'll have you you back again sometime. And uh, looking forward to seeing you around. Uh, you know, Indie Music Week at eight two a.m. this summer or this coming summer will is always a good place. Uh, South by Southwest, of course, in March, and then the DIY Musician Conference that CD Baby organizes in Austin. That'll be in August. So there's opportunities for folks to meet up with you and continue talking about the the growth and where independent music is going. I look forward to connecting. And thank you for joining the podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast uh, app and uh, sign up for the newsletter at musictectonics.com to find out about additional news and new information about not only the podcast, but the conference. Music Tectonics will be back in 2020. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Music Tectonics.